0: We're talking about keys to healthy relationships, and uh, I love the fact that God has given us uh, wisdom and advice throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation about how to how to do well with others, you know, how to play well with others, and uh, the fact that the New Testament is really, really focused on relationships um, kind of leads you to believe the Old Testament has nothing to say about it, but... That couldn't be further from the truth. And so uh, the Ten Commandments really is one of the heartbeats of the whole Bible. And uh, I love going through those commandments and looking at all the ways that they impact our lives. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. The first two commandments, generally speaking, are are about a vertical relationship. And the last eight are about a horizontal relationship. But all of them are summed up in the New Testament when Jesus said, all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength, and heart and your neighbor as yourself. So New Testament and Old Testament are in agreement. This part of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, did not go away with the uh, death and resurrection of Christ. It is still in force but now it's just been taken to a new level. It's called the law of the spirit, the law of love instead of the law of the law. So we're an internally driven people now instead of an externally driven people. So... This morning I want to talk about the impact the Ten Commandments have on, on parenting and our influence as parents. And as I was getting ready, I, I got off on a rabbit trail and I thought, I don't know why, but somehow this seems to fit. So I just, I happened to come up with this photograph that many of you have seen on our Facebook page. This, we were attending a wedding in Montana and, uh, you know, I just thought, well, that's That's cool. That's a nice picture. I like that. Well, We'll use that again. But a lot of you haven't seen this picture. <laughs> and this is one that, you know, I've shown it before, but this is like, this was our wedding day. Uh, we were just about to leave for our honeymoon. So this is in 1980. No, Honey, please. <laughs> yes. but, but that's the exact sweater I wore for our honeymoon. That's why I thought that. So it was later. It was later. Okay, oh, you're right. The beard was not there. Okay, see, I can't grow a beard, by the way. Um, at any rate, the, the reason I, I juxtapose those two pictures is it, it just really fascinated me. We're still here. That was a long time ago, and I just thought, praise God. But, you know, I, I don't want you to get the idea that any success on our part is like some sort of banner of success or accomplishment or something to us. Scribe to yourself. The thing that really matters to me is that our kids are still here. All of them are still serving the Lord. It's, it's the parental influence that I've had over my children, first and foremost, that gives me the greatest joy and the greatest sense of accomplishment. And that ought to be every single person in this room's desire as well. To be a great human and not be a great parent, assuming you have kids, well then, if not, let's call them spiritual children or anyone you influence is really not a success at all. To be successful vertically and horizontally always begins in the home. Can I hear an amen, amen. about that? So I want to talk about this. I don't, I don't want you to see my next slide yet because it's distracting, so I apologize. I have to leave that up there for a while. Um, the fact that our kids are still here, they're still walking with the Lord, is really one of the greatest things in my life. And um, you have to ask the question, is it a matter of nature or nurture. Have you heard that expression before? You know, a matter of nature is God-given gifts. They were born this way. And a matter of nurture is the environmental influences on a child's life and the way they grow and they're trained and those sort of things. It's kind of one of those conundrums, you know, which is it? Which one has the greatest effect? And it, it reminds me of this game that I discovered. It's called, the game's called Would You Rather? And, and the two choices are like absurd conundrums. Like they're both, it's one of those conversation starter games. And it just sort of gets people talking, you know, parents to children and peers and those kind of things. And so it's got these absurd kind of questions like, would you rather have your navel double as a pencil sharpener or your nostril as a ketchup dispenser? Okay, now that's just bizarre, right? And you have to answer that and, and explain why. Okay, I'm thinking, of, and then there's, other, there's this other one that... that um, it asks these two questions. It's, um, would you rather wear a snowsuit in blazing desert sun or your underwear in a blizzard? Okay, it's just bizarre stuff. It's kind of like, what? Come on, how do you answer that? So I'm thinking a lot of people, when it comes to, to parenting, they kind of do the same thing, you know? Is it nature or is it nurture? And can I tell you, it's both. But which of those two do we have control over? We don't yeah the nurture side we can't do anything about the nature the god-given giftings and the hardwiring is up to him we don't really have much to do with that at all except as to whether we nurture those gifts and nurture the environment for godliness or not there's another conundrum that a lot of parents face it's the the question between quality time or quantity time with my kids which is really more important and I got to tell you for many years I fell into the quality time That's what matters. I'm not there with my kids much, but boy, when I'm there, I'm there, and it really matters. Can I tell you, that's kind of an absurd conundrum, because both are essential, and I really think the Ten Commandments, especially this this little transition verse we'll talk about this morning, uh, really kind of forces the issue, it's both. And again, I'm not talking about just those of you who are raising small children in your home now, but... It might be still grown children. It might be grandkids. It might be the influence you have on other people's kids. Um, the commandment is the same. Elders need to influence the youngers. So let's take a look at these verses, and uh, we'll make a few observations. It appears in Exodus 20, verse 1 through 17 is the entire passage. We'll read the first six verses. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, First commandment, you shall have no other gods before you. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, heaven above, or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What God is doing here is actually not a commandment. This is a transition verse. He's given us the first two commandments. Don't worship any other gods and don't make any images of your gods. And then he goes on to the next one, which is um, the third commandment is, oh, I wrote it down here. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, thank you. I don't have them memorized, sorry. But right between those two verses, like the last eight, about more or less relational things, um, he's got this transitional verse. And it seems as though God is trying to point out that the first two really affect not just you. I'm not just calling you to like strive to holiness and perfection and God-likeness and Christ-likeness. I'm really calling you to understand the impact of your behavior on generations to come. Remember, God is forming a nation out of Egypt that he doesn't want to blow apart because of bad relational skills, because of lying, cheating, stealing, and envying, and all those kinds of things. He wants to keep this community of two million Jews glued together, not only for their generation, but for generations to come. In fact, all the way to the end of this age, and guess what? Even into the age to come the family of God begins here and it's never supposed to end. It's never supposed to blow up. Can I just stop and say that that should inform how we're doing right now, one-on-one with a few individuals that aren't going well. And those individuals might be your own kids. Because every relationship matters in God's eyes. We don't get to write anybody off and say, they're a lost case, forget it. God's going to have to get him. And that is true on one level, but that doesn't mean we get to hate them, dislike them, hold grudges against them. We've still got to love and be Christ to them. So God's saying, I want to keep this family glued together. And so when you look at um, some of the things that in this verse, it's a little strong and kind of confusing in spots. So I'm going to take a look at the verse and break it down a little bit. The first thing we learn is God is jealous for us. So we need to get used to that. Now usually when you hear the word jealous, what do you think of? Kind of envy, yeah. I'm green with envy. We have a saying. Uh, we oftentimes see anger, um, revenge. We see, you know, if I'm you know, jealous of somebody, instead of talking about it, I'll gossip behind their back and tear them down in other people's eyes. Can I say that that's not the application God is using here? God is not upset to the point of, I'm going to hurt you now. I'm jealous, and I'm going to get back at you. How dare you go after another God? It really is the kind of jealousy that only God is allowed to have. Only God, because he's the God, is allowed to say, look, when you go after other gods, I, I am jealous. But the word isn't this kind of angry, I'm going to come after and get you and hurt you and make you pay. It's actually the word That means eager for reciprocation. I just hunger for you to take notice of who I've been to you. And what hurts is when you treat me like I've done nothing for you. That's the kind of jealousy he has. It's absolutely deserved. Absolutely the best way to honor God is to reciprocate with love and worship back to him. That's a whole lot different than payback or holding grudges, wouldn't you say? So the only person who could be that kind of envious in the universe is God. Now, I have to take it back. He's not really the only one. There is a human side of that as well. Um, Husbands are allowed to be jealous for their wives. In fact, any husband of any moral, moral character at all would not be happy if his wife was sharing herself with another man. That's absolutely wrong. There are certain rights and privileges within the bounds of marriage that, that God says, these are yours, husband and wife equal, and no one else on the planet gets to enjoy those privileges. There is a righteous kind of anger. Now, if that, uh, or, or jealousy, if that jealousy leads to, I mean, we've heard stories all over murder, or you know, tearing somebody down behind the boss's back so they get fired, or whoever's you know, crossing those lines, that is sinful jealousy. But God is not talking about that kind of jealousy. He's saying, my jealousy for you is something that should righteously and rightfully be reciprocated. I deserve that because there's no one like me. The word for envious is the word "kana." Kana. In fact, one of the names for God in Exodus 34 um, is Kanah, the jealous God. It's kind of like Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. Um, he really has a right to, to desire and to uh, even demand worship. I remember being uh, at a beach in Oregon a few years ago. My wife and I uh, went down to a place called Short Sands. I guess because the sand is short, but the beach was like miles long. I didn't really get the name, but I was at Short Sands, and I was out in the water, surfing, and my wife was on the beach and just enjoying the sun. It was a beautiful Oregon day. We thought we were in the Bahamas. It was so sunny and warm. Couldn't believe it was Oregon. And as I'm in the water, I see this guy walking up to my wife, and he sits down next to her on a beach. And I'm hundreds of yards away, but I'm, I'm noticing that. And I literally, I mean, the waves were good that day. I just said, I'm done. I'm going in. And I remember running, not running, but kind of walking quickly up the beach, you know, and I'm not worried about Pam. I was worried about the guy. I'm thinking, I don't know what he's thinking, but I don't like it. And so, what was so funny is, I went up and I just said hi, introduced myself. I'm Alex, and uh, I think I said I'm her husband, and uh, <laughs> something like that. And it was kind of awkward because I don't think I've ever had that sort of experience before, but I remember he kind of got the message that he was no longer welcome and just walked away. And Pam asked me a question. She goes, Are you jealous? And I had never experienced that before. I thought, and I felt guilty, like, Is that a bad thing? I thought I wasn't supposed to be jealous because that's a sin. And, and I've since learned, no, that's the right kind of jealous. You know, there needs to be in the bonds of marriage reciprocation that is not only rightfully yours, but it, it's been earned through faithfulness and years of those kind of things. It, it's a love relationship kind of thing that God is trying to once again um, convince us of. Um, the trouble with, with that kind of jealousy is we, we often think it's only about God. And this is where the second thing comes in. Um, He says there's a reason for that. He's answering the question why this is important. He says, following that verse, and this is the part that gets a little confusing. He says, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He says, the reason I'm a jealous God and I demand allegiance is because your kids are going to pay. Why is that? Because character always flows downstream. However parents behave, children will behave. Do you believe that your words are not as powerful as your actions? Yeah, absolutely. Your words have some power, but only if your actions follow what you're asking or telling or commanding kids to do. They will always do what you do long before they do what you say. Let's kind of step aside and, and get rid of some of the confusion for a minute. This, this idea of, of the children being punished to the third and fourth generation has led some people to believe that there's this thing called a generational curse. Have you heard that term before? And um, if, you know, <clears throat> dad's a raging alcoholic, then three or four generations of children will be raging alcoholics, and guess what? They have no choice in it. There's a curse upon them. The problem with that thinking is that it sounds like the curse is laid upon an innocent generation through no doing of their own, right? Does that make logical sense to you? It it just doesn't really fit the rest of Scripture because the rest of Scripture says, well, in fact, there's a verse in in, um, Ezekiel, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son, So what is God trying to say back in this, the children will be punished for the sin of the parents? The punishment, again, has to be defined in terms of the whole Scripture. Remember, when you see something confusing in the Bible, let the Bible interpret itself. Don't take one verse and out of context just sort of say, ah, that's what that means. No, you got to put all the pieces together. So God's definition of punishment must be a little bit different. I think it's this. Because he was just talking about idolatry, He's trying to point out that, look, if, if your household is really into idol worship, that's going to be a really tough culture to break for several generations because idol worship is very powerful. And if you nurture that attitude, if you nurture that spirit, if you live that way, and if you're going after other gods and you're kind of like not even apologizing for it, but you're saying, hey, kids, come on along. Let's go do this. It's going to be really tough for them to go a different direction. And they will be punished because of what? The consequences. Not because God is like bringing that to them. It's like, man, you get off path, there's a price to pay. And we all can pay that, whether we're kids or not. So we have to recognize character always flows downstream. And if you think that your actions don't influence the next generation, well, guess what? They do. They really do. And the the sad thing is um, the mistakes that I've made in my life, if my kids have picked up on those things as kind of like the way to go, and now they're paying for that, nothing more painful as a parent. There's a story of a young man who uh, just really needed a day off work. And so he came home and he told his his dad, Dad, I just really burn out, man. I just need a day off and I'm not sick. I don't have anything to do. I don't have jury duty or anything. So I, I don't know what to do, but I'm just so tired. I need a day off. And his dad goes, well, son, just do what I do. Just lie. You know, just, just make something up and tell your boss you have to go. There's really no way out of it, and he'll get it, and you'll be good to do it. That's what I do, and it works every time. So the young man came into work the next day, and he said, uh, uh, boss, I, I, I got to take half a day off. He didn't have the courage to take the entire day off and call in. So he just said, Bob, boss, I need the afternoon off, so I'll see you tomorrow. And boss said, okay, sounds good. So the next day, the boy comes in, the young man comes in, and um, his boss met him at the front door and said, hi, welcome back. Hey, I have a question for you. Do you believe in life after death? And the boy goes, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. Uh, totally, absolutely. And uh, the boss goes, oh, well, that explains it, because your grandmother came in yesterday after you left because she wanted to see you. Oh, wait, I missed, left the part out. Um, Wait, it's about a funeral. Grandma's funeral. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's telling him he had to go to the grandma's funeral. She came by to see you. Oh, man. I can't even do that over and get it right, so. I'm just not, I know, it's horrible. Good thing. Anyway, the point is one The generation of one, no, the disobedient that's alive in one generation will be passed on to the next generation. Um, When it comes to verses like this, remember, uh, if it sounds a little harsh, like God's punishing children for the parents' sin, make sure you either ask somebody. If you don't know where to look, but do look in other places in the Bible. And uh, recognize that God is not the kind of God who's going to punish your children for something you do. I mean, if, for instance, if I, if I rob a bank, Adrian's not going to go to jail for it. But if I raise Adrian and say, honey, you, um, you really ought to try this. This is awesome. It's like free money, and I have ways to get out of it so you never get caught? So come on, let's go do it together. Well, guess what? That behavior will create a culture if she follows suit. Amen? And there will be consequences for that. So I think you get the point. I was just um, actually listening to some news before I came in this morning. Um, And it was, no, I I was reading. It was phenomenal. I I read that uh, President Trump said he was not, love him or hate him, so there's no, no opinion here, but... He said he's not going to go down to Mar-a-Lagos or wherever that place is in Florida where he golfs and has... He has a big old fundraiser. He's going to raise, you know, a million dollars. And he says, until this budget impasse is solved, I'm not leaving my office. I've got work to do. In fact, I may not make it to this thing in Switzerland next Wednesday called Davos. It's the meeting of all the rich business owners around the globe. They get together once... I'm not going to that either. If this thing doesn't get solved, I've got work to do. He said, I cannot go be off the job doing something else when our service members are not getting a paycheck. That's not right. So I thought that was pretty cool, I like that. That hasn't happened for a long time. Now, what what really startled me and blessed me was about 10 Congress members, maybe 20 now, have all written letters to the payroll department of Congress and said, please do not pay me until this thing gets passed. Until we have a budget, I don't want a paycheck. Republicans and Democrats alike, What that says to me is character flows downstream. These guys are following someone's lead. That's never happened before. I've never heard that in the history of politics. People saying, I want to step up to the plate. I want to kind of raise the bar, and I want to behave in a way that actually my children and those who come behind me will honor. We need to understand that's really what God is after, and that's what this whole verse is about. The cool thing is um, if you've happened to... Live a life where your children were negatively influenced. The beauty is it only takes three or four generations to turn it around. Notice the curse only lasts for a short time, relatively speaking, to the blessing, which we will talk about now. We need to play the long game. Don't quit. That's what made me think of those two photographs. You've got to play the long game. When it comes to having influence on the next generation, recognize you've got your entire life. Just because your kids are over 20 or over 30 or over 40 or 50 doesn't mean you're finished influencing them. That's so encouraging because you can repair damage that's been done by behavior of the past. Because God shows love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. A thousand generations can be influenced in the right direction, whereas only three or four get influenced in the wrong direction for bad behavior. He's into the long game. A thousand generations. I love that. Uh, Pam and I have often said, and you've heard this before, when we got married, we say, We're breaking the chains that bound us to our past because we had parents who were somewhat Christian at times, not so Christian other times, lots of divorce, lots of unhealthy stuff. We love them dearly. We've forgiven them. We have nothing against them, but we recognize we got to do this differently. And um, I just thought about this last night. I, I said, a thousand generations, one down, 999 to go. That is awesome because we still got three girls who love the Lord. You know, that's the cool thing is you, you can recognize that the it's kind of like, uh, you know, have you ever seen a gyroscope? You know, you can balance this little thing on a string because you've got this rotation, and the faster this thing spins, the more vertical. It's like riding a bicycle, the more vertical balance it it has. It's the same with Loving God and putting him first, there's this like centrifugal force that keeps influencing people in the same direction. They stay on the same piece of string, the same path. And that has much more power than the power of sin, bad behavior, or getting off track. That's very encouraging to me. I'm learning that legacies are made. They're not born. A lot of people complain about politicians who are kind of, they have this dynasty, you know, the Kennedys had a dynasty and uh, the Bushes have a dynasty, generations of people who keep getting elected to governorships and president and everything. And and a lot of people make those comments the Rockefellers, they all have money and, you know, there's all these kind of almost sort of whining about people who are sort of born into power, position, or wealth. Those things on a physical level may be true, but the legacies that are being left are not necessarily good or godly or helpful. Some are, some aren't. But when it comes to putting God first in a way that is not just with your words, but in actions that can be seen by your children and your grandchildren and those around you, that's the one that drives that centrifugal force and keeps things moving forward for generations a year, uh, generations and years after. Last week, uh, Adrian even got to take a break. How many believe young parents need breaks? Yeah. <sighs> Boy, is that tiring. Yeah. Lots. Lots. So Pam and I remember the days when we had our three girls. And so we said, yeah, we'll take your girls for a couple of nights. It was three days, two nights. And um, wow. <laughs> I haven't done that for a long time. Just, um, so it was just a routine. Uh, spent the night getting him to bed, you know, 45 to 90 minutes alone just for that portion to be ended and over, in and out, in and out. I'm drinky, in and out, in and out. Um, and then the hardest part was the, the next morning. You yeah, know, I had to get up at 6, 6.30. And normally I get up early. That's not hard for me, but just facing the world early, that's the hard part. So I was up early, dressed and ready to jump in the car. Pam's making lunches. We're feeding him breakfast, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we're going 100 miles an hour. It's not even 7 o'clock yet. And then by, uh, what was it, 8 o'clock, I had to be in the car, driving, car seat, you know, clothes, books, backpack, everything. All the way to school, out of the car, walk, say hi to the teacher, sign in, sign out. I was exhausted. Two days, that's all I did. That's all. And I was cooked by Wednesday. And so Pam and I, when we sent the girls home, or no, the parents came and got them, um, we sat down and just looked at each other and said, wow, we used to do this 180 days a year. Five days a week with three children. How did we ever do it? We were younger, absolutely. <laughs> That's part of it, definitely. But what I, what I was feeling, you know, these last two days, it was actually Tuesday and Wednesday morning, um, I remember getting up just being really uh, bad attitude. And I was just so ticked off. I go, I shouldn't have to do this. I just shouldn't. I just, this is wrong. It's just, I don't want like this. I don't want to. I want to go home and go to bed. I was just a bad attitude. But what I noticed was none of that came out of my mouth. I go, thank you. Praise God. Because I was sure feeling it. I was just doing my duty. If I couldn't say something nice, I didn't say anything at all. And I'm just thinking, now that 180 days a year, five days a week with three daughters has paid off. Because, wow, guess what? My grandchildren don't know any of those internal frustrations that I was feeling. What they got was the Jesus, hopefully, part on the outside. Again, I don't say it to break, I'm just saying longevity, stick-to-itiveness really pays off. Legacies are made. They're not born. They're not automatic. There's nothing you get born into. It takes long-term, continuous right behavior before the Lord. And when things go south and you don't do well, you get right back on the horse say, Lord... My brokenness is apparent to all. I acknowledge that. Let's start over and do it again. Forgive me. What I love about this is all of us have a child in our life. I know we do. Married or not. Kids grown up or not. Barren or not. We all have children in our lives. And um, there will not be any greater moment Then I believe the day on your deathbed when all of your children are surrounding you and all those you've influenced are looking down on you and saying we miss you we're weeping because you're leaving our lives and um, I I really believe the gratitude in your heart and the thanksgiving to God is going to be more than you can imagine. We have to recognize that is what God's heart is for all of us. Heavenly Father we're so thankful that you are a God who's Patience with us is is phenomenal. It is record-breaking, unimaginable. And we thank you that you've given us the same spirit, Lord God, of endurance and perseverance and faithfulness, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, help us to, to manage our lives, our time, and our energy in ways that are constantly under scrutiny. So we're, we're watching and editing ourselves and the words and the actions and the choices that we make so that generations behind us don't pick up some idolatrous habit, no matter how small. Lord, help us to recognize that it's worth the sacrifices that we might have to make so that the next generation is even richer, wiser, bigger worshipers and servants than we are. And we thank you, Lord, that that's available for every person in this room. And before we end this prayer, can I ask if there's anyone in the room who's saying, you know, I I really have to say there's this thing in my background, in my history that was, it was devastating to my kids or to my neighbor's kids or my grandchildren. And uh, I don't know if they will ever come back because of that. And I might have been responsible for the distance now between them and God. You certainly don't have to tell any of us what, that might be about, but you can tell your Heavenly Father. And you can ask Him for forgiveness. And you can be given a second chance and a third and a tenth and a one hundredth to make things right. But it begins with a first step. And I would like to know if that's you, if there's something you think might have gone over the line, um, I want you to know there's forgiveness right now. Freedom, total peace between you and God if you just ask for it. And I'd like to pray with you. Can you raise your hand if that's you? Good, yes, thank you. Might be smaller, might not be that big, but you worry and wonder about it. Thank you, Father God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is forgiveness and instant, immediate cleansing and declaration of being whiter than snow, pure and perfect in your eyes. Lord, I pray that your forgiveness would flow right now and just give our brothers and sisters that evidence that all is well between you. And Lord, I pray for a miracle that you would put relationships back together that don't seem to have any chance and that you would create opportunities uh, for there to be a hunger and a thirst for reconciliation and that you would draw those who've been led astray back to yourself as only you can do. And we look forward to that last day, whether it's in heaven or we're on our deathbed hoping they show up. Lord, we look forward to the day and trusting that you will do a miracle here. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. We'll go and uh, practice your jokes. But, <laughs> but more than that, you know, make things right with one another. God bless you.